Hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good. How many of you are thankful for the presence of God in this place? Come on. Aren't you thankful for his promises also? You know, I don't know how to prioritize, best prioritize the many attributes, characteristics of God that I'm grateful for, but I'll tell you what, here's one thing for sure, I am grateful that we serve a God who is faithful, amen, that even whenever we are faithless, he is always faithful, and I want to say that because that understanding that about God, I think it's what builds faith, it's what builds hope. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, yeah, Chris, but I've got faith. I've got hope. That's awesome. Just make sure that faith and that hope are built upon the promises of God. Amen? Because if that hope that you have in your heart, if that's built upon your understanding of things, if you're leaning on that, that's a very unstable thing that you're leaning upon, right? But whenever we put our faith and our trust and hope in God, like God always brings to fulfillment everything, everything, everything that he speaks to our heart. Like none of God's promises falls to the ground. Aren't you grateful for that? I know that I am. You know, I'm just reminded of uh, the scripture, Philippians 4.13, that's probably in every uh, private Christian school field house in America. Um, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why we can make that declaration. It's because it is through Christ. I want to leave you with the scriptures just kind of in my spirit this morning. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, listen to this. This is so good. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation before I get into my message, okay? So just get ready for this. The scripture here says, for no matter how many promises are, are made or that God has made. Let me ask you something. How many promises do you think are in God's word? Huh? I'll tell you, I did the work for you. It's 8,810. And of those promises, 7,487 of them are promises made by God to humankind. That didn't get your attention. 7,487. I mean, that is a big number. So let me just try to put it in perspective, because I could have said 14,000, 21,000, you're like, oh, that's cool. All right. Let me put it in perspective for you. Let's say you take all of the Walmarts in the United States. And there's Walmarts in little Podic, Somerset, Kentucky even. So they're, they're all over the place. And you added them up. And then you added up all of the Chick-fil-A's in the United States. Some of you are like, man, why do you have to say that? They're closed on Sundays. Oh. And then you put those two numbers together. It comes close but it still doesn't even reach 7,487. Now, just like I know that there's none of you in this room that has visited every Walmart in the United States, and you've never visited 
every Chick-fil-A in the United States. A, a few of you may have come close. But check this out. Just like that, with the promises of God, there's many of God's promises that we have never visited either. For example, I mean, because this is a lot of promises, guys. Here's one of those 7,487 promises that are written to us. Listen to what Deuteronomy 28.2 says. It says, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, what blessings is it talking about here? Well, we're not going to know unless we read for ourselves what they are, right? But there are 7,487 of those promises, like Isaiah 119. If you consent and obey. By the way, you're going to notice that there's a lot of if-then promises. We'll talk about that later. But if you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. So now I've got to dive into the promise and ask the question, what is the best of the land? Or Nahum 1.7. The scripture says the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Like right there is promise number two of 7,487. Or how about this one? Psalms 84 verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, did you catch that? No good thing. Wow. That's promise number three of 7,487. Don't worry, I'm not going to go over all 7,487 of them. But what I am trying to communicate to you is that God has a lot to say about his plans, about his purposes for our life. But yet, what we've got to make sure of is that we know them. And not just know them, but like follow through with his instructions and then claim them as as our own. Are y'all with me this morning, church? So how about let's just do this. Let's just dive into God's word, and let's just look and see what he wants to speak to us. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Kings. We're going to start in chapter 11. As you're turning there, um, if you're just joining us, we've been on a series called Marked, which is really a series of messages aimed at highlighting the truth that you and I, we have been marked by God. We have been called by God. And our existence here on this earth was ordained in heaven before we ever breathed our very first breath. And I felt compelled to teach this series because I see far too many believers that live their life as if God doesn't have something significant in store for them. As if God only marked missionaries or, or pastors or one of the other five-fold uh, ministry callings. But, but listen to this. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, he has saved us and called us. You see, it's not just enough that God has saved you. Man, that's amazing that he saved us. Praise God that he saved us. But the Bible says that he saved us and he has called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works. That needs to be underlined in our Bible right there, but by his own purpose and by his grace that he's granted us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, what that means is God hasn't marked you because of all these great things that you've done in your life. And as a matter of fact, you can't 
do enough good deeds in order to receive God's calling, in order to receive his, his marking. But it simply comes as a result of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But as we're going to see this morning, that with God's call, there also comes a responsibility. In other words, we can't expect to step into the purpose of God and at the same time just live our life however we please. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at several different people's lives that were marked by God, called by God, and we're going to look to see what their life lessons want to teach us. Now before we dive into 1 Kings chapter 11, let me just give you a little bit of a background here. In this message, King Solomon is an old man. And one would think that this is when he's making his best decisions in life, but sadly, age didn't make him any wiser. Like for Solomon, it seemed like he was actually a little bit wiser in his youth. His old age only hardened the sinful tendencies that were present in his younger days. You see, guys, age and experience, it should make us more godly and wise. But watch this. It doesn't happen just automatically. The Bible says that Solomon's heart was not loyal to God. God told Solomon not to marry anyone from a foreign nation because they would turn his heart toward foreign gods. And of course, what did Solomon do? The proclivity and tendency of man went and did the very thing that he shouldn't have done, right? The Bible says that Solomon built places of worship for these foreign gods, disobeying the word of the Lord. I find it interesting that the same weakness that we see in Solomon's life, that Solomon's father had that same weakness, King David. Because both David and Solomon, though they had plenty of wives and concubines, somewhere around a thousand if you add them all up, they all wanted what they couldn't have. By the way, can I just say that if you didn't get a chance to listen to the first three messages of this series, I'm going to encourage you to go back and to listen to them because we actually talked about King David and, and his life. So I want to encourage you to watch them uh, if you haven't. But, and I did, that scripture keeps resonating too. Thank you for that amen, uh, Larry. You know, the scripture says that every time we speak our amen, it goes for the glory of God because it's declaring the promises of God. So do you know why we say amen? And this is maybe just a little bit of a teaching moment uh, for those of you that are maybe new to church. You're like, oh, what's that person saying that for? You know, <laughs> you know it's okay. You can do it too. You can join in, right? This isn't a monologue. This is a dialogue. So if you hear truth coming forth from this place, whether someone's singing it, whether someone is doing an announcement, whether someone's up here teaching or preaching, if you hear that truth, when you say amen, first of all, that means so be it, right? Put it in concrete. It's done, right? So that's one thing. And since we're on, I'm on the teacher mode, where that word originally came from is whenever they would put a stake in the ground when they were putting up their tents. And once they would get completed, they would say amen, which meant this is solid. This is complete. It ain't going nowhere. It doesn't matter what comes against this thing. It's going to stand, right? So whenever we declare an amen, we're declaring to God, his promises to the glory of God. Amen? So if you hear truth from anything that's coming here, that's the reason we say amen. A little, little bit of a little teaching moment there. Is that okay? All right. Amen. All right. You, you got it. You got it. I love it. But here in 1 Kings, we see Solomon following in the footsteps of his father David, which I think provides a good life lesson for us right here in that what doesn't get healed gets handed down. You see, I can't choose what I've been handed, but I can choose what I hand down. 
First Kings 11, 9, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Now, I want us to just look at this because there's a couple of things that's uh, standing out to me. Uh, first, remember that this is Solomon that we're talking about here who at one point was the wisest person to ever live. I mean, you talk about knowing the right thing to do. I mean, this guy quite literally wrote the book on it, right? Yet with all this great wisdom, knowledge, and riches, it still didn't keep him faithful to God. God had blessed Solomon to the extent that no one on earth had ever been blessed that way before. As a matter of fact, um, just read First Kings chapter 10, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. So I can't help but wonder, though, how could someone who had been so blessed by God do the things that God told him not to do? And how could he have allowed his heart to get to the place to where, as the scripture says, his heart had turned from the Lord? And I think this is a good question that we have to answer lest we find ourselves in a similar place. To where we have experienced the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But then we fail to guard or forget the contingencies of God's promises. But this is the deception that comes, right? Like when the enemy comes, he highlights that very thing that God says that we should stay away from. And this isn't anything new because we've seen this in the garden whenever the enemy came to Eve in regards to eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Friends, I can't say this to you straightforward enough. There are things that God has said that we can do, and there are things that God has said that we cannot do. And his instructions aren't because God is this cosmic buzzkill who's wanting to take away all this enjoyment away from our life. No, quite the opposite. God wants the absolute best for your life. And if you don't believe that, then you don't know God. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son. Anyone ever gave up their kid for someone, especially someone who's a criminal or a sinner? I haven't. God did. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, you and me, how will he not also along with him graciously, there's grace, give us all things. Mm. 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us, marked us, by his own glory and goodness. And so if God tells us not to do something, it's because he knows that that thing is going to hurt us. I know that there are plenty of you in this room who can testify of the times that you went ahead and did that thing that you knew that you shouldn't do, and as a result, you suffered the consequence. Come on, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Like the price was uh, higher than the pleasure. <laughs> But the other thing that stood out to me in 1 Kings 11.9 is the graciousness of God. I mean, God didn't have to come to Solomon even once because Solomon knew what to do, right? 
But the scripture says that God came to Solomon twice, and he still didn't obey God. Somebody needs to hear this. Dial in for a minute, because this is so, so important. Scripture has taught me, as well as, as personal experience, that God will lovingly speak to our hearts in regard to our sin. But if we refuse his kindness, then he will allow us to feel the weight and the consequence of that sin. And this is exactly what we see right here with Solomon. As a result of his sin, God said that he would tear the kingdom from him and that he would give it to his servant. But then he said, I'm not going to do this in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. You see, our sins don't just affect us. Are you hearing me? I heard people say things like, well, my sin isn't hurting anyone. It's just affecting me. But can I just tell you that if you believe that lie, you have bought into a deception? For example, if you grew up in a home of an alcoholic, you know that their sin didn't just affect them. Hello. Or if you grew up with a, a single parent or divorced parents, who was affected by that? Was it just the parents? Now, that's not to bring condemnation to things that are in our past. Are you hearing me? Uh, God's able to redeem, restore, thank God, refine in such a way that he will work those things for our good as we turn to him with a pure heart. But this is a reality check for those of us thinking that we can just make choices and that they won't affect others. And, of course, we're not just talking about family here either, but your sin can affect your friends. It can affect your coworkers. It can even affect people that you've never even met. You see, you're free to choose your sin, but you're not free to choose the consequence of that sin. Now, as I mentioned earlier, God said that he would tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and then he would give it to his servant. Now, God didn't tell Solomon who that servant was going to be, so Solomon just went on his business as usual. And he hired a young man named Jeroboam to be the superintendent of the forced labor over the house of Joseph. But not long after, God had the prophet Ahijah prophesy to Jeroboam, that, that servant we're talking about, that he would become that person. He would be that king. And of course, King Solomon caught word of it, and he sought to kill Jeroboam, which sent Jeroboam into hiding until Solomon died. So now I want us to fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 12. Solomon dies. His son Rehoboam takes his place. Now that's different than Jeroboam. I know that some of these Hebrew names can sound a lot alike, okay? And everything happens just as God says that it's going to happen. Now in 1 Kings chapter 12, Jeroboam, he leaves Egypt because that's where he had been into hiding. He's coming back to Israel. He wants to meet with Rehoboam, who is now the king, and he wants to try to work out the issues that he had with Rehoboam's father, Solomon, by requesting that King Rehoboam not be so harsh on the people. Of course, Rehoboam, he considers his request, and he goes to the older men there for some counsel who tell him to lighten the load. He says, you know, this thing that Jeroboam's bringing, the old, old guys, the elders of the church says, you know what, that, that's actually a good idea. We think that you should, you should do that. 
And then he goes on to say, and to, to tell Rehoboam, if they would do that, they would be his servants forever. But then he goes to the young men to seek their opinion, and they tell him the opposite. Now, I'm skipping a lot of stuff today, so you've got to read this and fill in the blanks. I can't preach to you for three hours, unfortunately. But read this in 1 Kings 12, 6 through 12. But here's something right here that I really want to highlight, and it's a very important lesson. I know I said that Solomon didn't get any wiser as he got older, but that was just because his heart wasn't right. Like when our heart is right before the Lord, as we continue to seek after him, there will come a wisdom that comes with age. Job talks about this in chapter 12 and and verse 12 when it says, Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Now, This point right here is specifically for my younger crowd. I don't know if I'm in the younger crowd or the older crowd. Um, This morning when I woke up, I certainly don't feel like I'm in the younger crowd. Um, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Unless, of course, you ask my kids, they would say that I'm old, right? (laughs) But I think there's a tendency in our youth to reject the advice of those that are older than us. Like somehow they don't understand the times in which we live because they don't have TikTok. Or they don't pay for everything with their phone. But you know what I found? And that is that the issues that young people are facing today, they aren't really any different than they've been 20 years ago, 50 years ago, or a couple thousand years ago. For example, what are some of the the biggest issues that our young people are facing today? You know, I I thought I knew, so I went ahead and Googled it just so I checked about like four or five different uh, people had did. And guess what? They were exactly what I thought they would be. Like, here's the top issues. Ready for this? Materialism. Violence. Peer pressure. Alcohol abuse. Lack of quality education. Sexual activity. Money, lack of good role models. I mean, I could be reading a list from 1980, 1940, or even 1500 B.C. Are you with me? Because the issues are the same. As a matter of fact, I was looking at this, I thought, man, this is like, this is the Bible right here, right? I mean, you see these issues all over the place. And so I just want to speak to, oh, maybe those of you that are under 40 and say, We need the wisdom of our elders. Hear me. Hear me. We need the the advice, the counsel of those that got a little snow on the roof or got no no snow at all. All right? But (laughs) listen to me, though. They've got wisdom, guys. You need to go to them. You need to seek them out. And, and, and they've walked in the shoes that you ha- have walked in. Hey, watch this. The best marriage advice that I've ever received from someone is from someone who was 20 years older than me. The best parenting advice that I ever received was from someone who their kids are already grown adults. The best leadership advice that I ever received was from someone who can't 
even to this day, still turn on a computer. The best pastoral advice was from someone who is also a grandpa. Yes, I'm not saying that we can't ever get counsel from our, our, our peers. Uh, of course we can. But look, we're going to be foolish if we ignore the counsel of our elders. And see, we see this right here played out in the life of Rehoboam because he rejects the old men's counsel and he goes with the counsel of the young men instead. And of course, this choice led to king, uh, the kingdom being divided. Uh, Israel rises up against Rehoboam. They declare Jeroboam their king, and Rehoboam flees to Jerusalem. There's only the tribe of Judah and Benjamin that follow him. Now, this brings me to where I want to land this morning, okay? Rehoboam, that's son of Solomon, he assembles an army to take back the kingdom. Only God tells him not to. In 1 Kings 12, 24, the word of the Lord came to Rehoboam and said, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up and fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. And then the scripture says, so they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me that not long ago, they were quick to disregard the word of the Lord, but now they listened and obeyed. Friends, can I just tell you that life will always, always, always be better if you do what God's word tells you to do. I promise you that you do not have a better blueprint for your life than God. But I think that what we often do is we only obey when we understand. Or we only obey whenever it costs us something. But if you're living your life from that perspective, can I just tell you that you're going to miss out on a lot of good things that God has in store for your life. Because most of the time, you're not going to understand all that God is doing whenever he um, speaks to you through his word or whenever he directs you by the leading of his Holy Spirit to do something. And many times, that obedience has a price. Like it may cost you being looked at differently from a coworker. It may even cause you to not get that job or get that promotion. It might mean that you have to let go of something that you own. Or it might just take you way outside of your comfort zone. But you will never regret obeying God. I'm going to speak it again so it echoes in the back of your mind. You will never regret obeying God. Let me tell you something. I've been serving God now for 28 years, and I have never once, not once, regretted obeying God. There's been times that that obedience has cost me, but it has never cost me more than what the disobedience would have. So we begin to see this switch take place here within Rehoboam. See, I, I can relate to these people because I'm kind of like that sometimes. You know, my pastor told me the other day, he goes, man, you're a mess. Like, and, and I am. I mean, because sometimes I'm over here, sometimes over here, and, and I, I, I'm thankful for the grace of God. But 
we're looking here now and seeing that start to happen in Rehoboam's life to where he made some mistakes in his past. And I know all y'all can relate to that, right? But now he's put his trust back in the word of the Lord. And aren't you just so thankful that God extends his grace and his mercies whenever we blow it? Thank God for that, right? So now let's shift back to talking about Jeroboam. It's to where now Rehoboam, he's like, man, I blew it. I messed up. Shouldn't have done that. Didn't listen to God. Like, I'm listening to God now. And think about all that must have required, too. I love to go and see the things that aren't said in the Bible because if he's putting together this army and he's already on his way there because the Bible says to get back home, that means they were already on their way. Like training had taken place. They had sharpened their irons, right? I mean, they had packed their lunches, and then they're on the way there like, we're kicking butt and taking names. God said, you better not. And it's like, oh. But don't we kind of do that sometimes once we already create motion like well I've already went there I'm, I'm already on my way to the strip club somebody needed to hear that that came out of my spirit Ooh, God said turn around I'm on my way to go meet with that person who is not my wife is not my husband and the Lord says turn around God allows for turnarounds watch this here's what ends up happening though and oh this is prophetic <laughs> So there's some of you, like, in your life, like, you've got this big, wide French doors. I got French doors, and the French doors, man, I can just walk through with my arms open, not touch either side. The closer you get to that sin, you know what? That French door becomes a door. And eventually, that door becomes a window. And that window becomes, I can't think of a good illustration, I'm going to say my doggy door. <laughs> yeah. It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Watch this, God will always give us room to escape whenever temptation comes our way. He will not allow something to come upon us in which we cannot handle. And that's always talking about temptation, right? Don't think that that's talking about, oh, God's not going to let anything, you know, come upon me that I can't handle. Yes, he will. But that was in reference to temptation. So know what the scripture says, lest you use it out of context, all right? Okay, but when it comes to temptation... He will provide a way of escape, right? And so that's what's happening here with Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam went ahead and messed up anyway, right? And thank God, God will even come in with his grace and cover our mess-ups. Like, guys, I know you've looked at pornography hundreds and hundreds of times, and you're thinking, man, I'm a mess. Yeah, that's okay. Guess what? God says, okay, quit. Stop. Don't do it anymore. Renew your mind. Let God deal with your heart and, like, run after me and look at the good things I have for you. Let's shift back to Jeroboam. By the way, today's going to be a two-part message. There's no way I'm going to get all this in today. Um, so we're just going to see how far we get, then we'll stop and kind of pick it back up next week. But let's talk about Jeroboam because Jeroboam started out right. Jeroboam started out right. He was confirmed by the prophet of God to be the man for the job. And now it seems like things are, are going pretty good for him because 10 of the 12 tribes stayed under his rule. But then something shifted with Jeroboam. The man who was once fearless. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says, you know, that he was a mighty warrior whenever uh, Solomon called him. And it's one of the reasons that, that Solomon uh, did call him. Whenever, once when he was a a fearless uh, warrior who confronted the king. He now is king himself, but he's fearful. 
He's afraid that the people will go back to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. And he was fearful that the people's hearts would then return back to Rehoboam. Let me just pause here and just share a critical lesson for anyone that's in leadership. When we find ourselves making decisions only meant to benefit ourselves, we've missed the very point of leadership. Like God puts us in positions of leadership to lead, not to secure ourselves in that position. Church, the day will come at some point. I hope that it's a few decades down the road, but there will come the day to where I can't try to secure myself as the guy who God's leading because there's going to come along someone at some point that I'm going to have to pass that mantle on. And we can't just hold on. And I think that's a good word for a lot of people who keep hanging on. And if they would just realize if you would let go, I know it looks like you're having to secure the thing, but God has something better because God takes us from glory to glory. And God doesn't cause us to go backwards. He only causes us to go forward. But we got to trust him. And sometimes we've got to trust him. And, and that trusting means letting go. That's a word for someone. You better take that if that's you. But God puts us in. Leader, positions of leadership to lead. He calls us to be servants. But you see, Jeroboam, what had ended up happening was he became the very thing that he despised about both Solomon and Rehoboam. There's a great verse that's in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, um, "Take therefore uh, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. And that word, take heed, you know what it means? It means to carefully weigh. And this is what David would do whenever he would go and pray to God. He would say, test me, O Lord. Like, weigh the intentions of my heart. But Jeroboam didn't do that. Listen to what happened. 1 Kings 12, 26-28. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem... Then the people, or the heart of the people, will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel again. Be careful who you take counsel from. So the king took counsel, like who told him to do that, and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods. O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Hmm. So now we have Jeroboam, whom God is using to lead his people, but he allows pride and fear to enter into his heart. And now, not only is he committing idolatry, but he's leading the people in idol worship and attributing the acts of God to the idols that he's made. And there's so many things going on here, right? I mean, like, first of all, he's stealing God's past faithfulness by attributing their freedom from Egypt to the golden calves that he's made, which is pure idolatry. But notice where Jeroboam says to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. This is a good point right here because I know not everyone's leader. Some people are on the other side of leadership. There always should be. But both leaders need to hear, but those that are following leaders need to also listen to this point as well. He says, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. And what was he saying? 
Well, Jerusalem was about 62 miles from Shechem. And that would have been about a six-day round-trip journey, three days there, three days back. Not an easy trip when you're traveling through the desert with no air conditioning, right? So, of course, this would have been an appealing option to the people. I mean, cut out that six-day nasty journey that they had to make several times a year. The people loved that idea. But what they didn't realize is what it would cost them as a result. Now, here's where I want to bring today's message to our front door. How many times do we opt for what is easier at the expense of something much greater? For example, it's easier to turn on the TV and to entertain our children rather than train them in the way in which they should go. It's easier to fudge the numbers a little bit on our taxes thinking that it's actually going to work out for our gain. It's easy to sign up for a gym membership. Hello? (laughs) But what if God never intended for our life to be easy? Hello? Rewarding? Yes. Fulfilling? Yes. But where in the Bible does it promise of those 7,487 promises that our life is going to be easy? I mean, whenever I read about the great men and women of God in the Scripture, their lives were rewarding, but they were not easy. And could there be a correlation between being willing to face the necessary hard things in life that after having only done so, it brings about a fulfillment? I think so. I got a little change in my pocket to say this next statement. You know what? I know so. I've walked through some hard stuff over the last 12 months of my life. And I promise you that when you face those difficult things, if you will trust God, your God will bring you through. I shouldn't have been standing up here preaching behind this pulpit. My wife still can't speak, but in the next two months, I tell you, she'll be up here speaking. Watch. Watch. God is faithful. I want you to consider these scriptures, if you will. Proverbs 14, 23 says, all hard work brings a profit. You get a profit, but there's some hard work that's required. But mere talk leads only to poverty. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even whenever you, we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. See, I think that there's a, a principle here that goes beyond the surface of what we just read, and that is that what we put into something will determine what we get out of it. Hey, you can't expect to have a great marriage if you aren't willing to do the things necessary in order to have that marriage. Great marriages don't happen just by accident or on co-pilot. You can't expect to get promoted at your job whenever you're just doing enough to get by. Or how about this? You can't expect your faith to grow if you're unwilling to exercise it. You see, Jeroboam, he's displaying here the the natural tendency of man, which is to find the easy way out. Only the easy way always ends up costing you more in the end. Like we learned this lesson a few weeks ago when we read about Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of stew, right? I want us to look over to the next chapter, chapter 13, 1 Kings 13. 
The scripture says that Jeroboam is standing by the altar that he made to burn incense, and an unnamed man of God, directed by the Spirit of God. By the way, that, that's something that's so good. i got to teach this at some point. Can I slide it in just as a side note, just kind of a little extra? You know, sometimes God is going to use you to do great things, and your name will not get attached to it, and you don't get the glory for it. God wants the glory for it, and, and you're not going to get hashtagged, and, and they're going to walk away. But you know what? I'll tell you, one of the things that I desire as a pastor is I want people, when, when they think of Destiny Church, I pray that they don't even know my name. I pray that they just be like, oh, man, there's a place that's making an impact through the Spirit of God and the people of God. Amen? But I love this right here, this unnamed man of God, directed by the Spirit of God. He came and he prophesied that God would raise up someone from the line of David to destroy that altar. And he even goes as far to say who that king would be in his name, which was King Josiah. Now, here's a quick point that I want to draw out from this text. This unnamed man of God prophesies about something that doesn't even happen for another 300 years. Now, he doesn't say when it will happen. He just says that it will happen. But it was 15 generations from the time of David before Josiah was born. And, of course, when Josiah came, he did just as was prophesied. And here's the point that I want to highlight from this text. Rarely do we know when God is going to bring about a thing? I mean, if there's one thing that I have learned about God, it's that my watch and his watch aren't on in sync, right? But God is always on time. And I say that because there's something God has, if there's something he's spoken to your heart, but it hasn't happened yet, like that doesn't mean that it's not going to. Every purpose of God has an ordained incubation period. And I pray that this is encourages someone who you've been disheartened or disappointed or maybe even doubted some of the things that God has spoken to you and you've even wondered if it could even happen. Watch this. Don't count God out. None of God's promises fall to the ground. None of them. We've but to not lose hope and not give up faith. Are you hearing me this morning? Listen, I'm talking to some of you that are here this morning who you've spoken things over your children's lives and they still haven't happened. I'm talking to some of you who you're believing God to, to be married and you still are not married yet. I'm talking to some of you who you've been speaking things over your marriage and your marriage still isn't the thing that has been in your heart. Or for some of you, things that God has spoken to you, dreams that are in your heart that still haven't happened. I just want you to know that you are marked by God. You are called by God. The vision is yet for an appointed time, but the Lord God will bring it to pass. God doesn't speak anything that he does not allow this timetable, right? This steadfastness, this, this time of patience to where it works in our heart, to where the Bible says it, it, it perfects us is the word that, that, that we use, right? It helps us to become more like Jesus, just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean that it isn't going to. Hey, Job was broke at 70. But then God blessed him with twice as much as he ever had in his entire life. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt when he was 80. 
Sarah gave birth to Isaac at 90. Some of you ladies are like, dear God, no, please, right? (laughs) Joshua was 90 whenever he led the children of Israel into the promised land. Matter of fact, I could give you a huge list of people in Scripture that God used far beyond what they ever thought was possible. And so I just want to say now to some of my older folks here who you feel like that God isn't able still to use you, I'm just here to tell you, man, you're the, this is the best time in your life. you got more wisdom right now. you got more knowledge right now. And guess what? God will give you the fire and to be able to pass that along to the younger generation. We need you. Speaking as a younger person now, I, we, I need you. We, we need one another. Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. Man. Here's something you need to know about the purpose of God. God's purpose for your life has no expiration date. Hey, Don't throw out what God calls good. And if it isn't good, then he's not finished yet. Are you hearing me? I said if it's not good, then he's not finished yet. Let me wrap up today's message, and we'll finish the second part next week. This unnamed man of God, he prophesies about Josiah, but then he says that the altar will split apart, and the ashes which are on it will be poured out as a sign. And we're going to hear what the scripture says here. It's 1 Kings 13, 4 and 5. It says, And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar of Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. By the way, somebody comes to you and they're speaking the word of the Lord, you might not want to reach your hand out to that person. It says, And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that it would not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes were poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. i got to tell you, I love how God uses the stories of the Bible to give us principles to live by. Again, there's hidden truth here that is required in order for you uh, to be able to look beyond the surface of, of what is right there The Bible says that Jeroboam stretched out his hand against the man of God, and his hand dried up. Now, when I read that text, it just causes me to ask a question. What things does God want to do in your life? But rather than surrendering to it, you've been stretching your hand out against it. Jeroboam stretched out his hand against the man of God, and his hand dried up. You know, there's a phrase in church that we often use um, that represents times where we feel like we don't see God moving. We call it a, a dry season. And I just wonder how many times we've been unwilling to surrender something to God that he's been dealing with our hearts about. And it could it be that that unwillingness to surrender is the result of our dry season? I'm just asking for a friend. I'm not saying that that's the case every time, but I believe that there are some things that we experience that are the result of us putting our hands on something that we shouldn't. Like teenagers, putting your hand somewhere on your boyfriend or girlfriend that they shouldn't be. 
And that's not just for teenagers either. That's for my adults either who are single, okay? If the public can't see it, it doesn't need to be touched. Hello? That's what marriage is for. Amen? That's a good place to say amen right there. That's truth. Here's one, which honestly, most of you in this room, man, you've done great about this. Wow, really, really grateful for this one. But maybe someone needs to hear it. Um, Some put their hand to the keyboard making social media posts, but those posts are drying up their influence. Listen, not everything that goes through your mind needs to be said or needs to be posted. Can I just say that? I know we all want to give people a piece of our mind from time to time, but if you do, just make sure you're giving them the renewed part. I almost left this last example out, um, but the Holy Spirit prompted me and said, really? And I said, oh, okay, yes. Um, Some of you have been putting your hands on that part of your money, which really isn't your part. It's God's part. But you've been keeping his tithe, and you wonder why your finances have been drying up. Don't put your hands on what isn't really yours. Jeroboam put his hands on something that he wasn't supposed to. And as a result, his hand dried up. He went from seeing the blessing of God to being all dried up. Now the story goes on to say that Jeroboam repents for the things that he did. And in verse 6 it says the king's hand was restored to him and it became as it was before. Jeroboam turns to God, and God restores life back to his hand. And I love this verse because it reveals to me what I know is true about God. And that is that God allows for repentance. He is that good father who always has his arms wide open. And if we will take our hands off, look to him, and trust him, he will bring about forgiveness, and he will bring about restoration. Come on, can someone thank God for that? Next week, we're going to continue in 1 Kings chapter 13. Um, but I want to just bring our time together to a close by looking at the questions that I posed to you today. There are five simple questions that I believe hold the experience, or the, uh, the, holds for us having the experience or rather the freedom that God wants us to have when we are obedient. And the first one is this. What needs healing in your life so that you don't pass it down to others? And the second one is like it. What sin is in your life that's been not only affecting you, but it's been affecting those around you? The third one is, what counsel has God sent to you, but you have been rejecting it? And four, in what ways have you been opting for what is easy at the expense of what is valuable? And then lastly, what things have you yet to surrender but instead have put your hands on. If the book of Kings teaches us anything, it's that God blesses those that keep his word. To those who look to him in all things, guys, he makes provision in every area of our life. That's the reason the scripture says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first. Put God first. Put God first. We need to live a God first life. Put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then he will add all things to us. So friends, in whatever it is that you have need of, listen to this, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power, I said it earlier, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Now remember this, 
for a godly life. Don't say, well, he's not giving me this and this. Well, you need to ask yourself, is it for a godly life or is it just something that you want because it's just something you want? His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Whatever you have need of, his goodness is made available in Jesus. Good place to say amen. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Y'all receive the word this morning. We'll pick up next week, 1 Kings chapter 13. If you want to do your homework and kind of be a little prepared when you come back next week, go ahead and start in 1 Kings 10. Look at all the blessings of God that was on Solomon's life. Also look at how things change. There's so much shifting that we see with Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and Solomon, which I can relate to in my life. But I want to just lead us in a time of prayer and then I'm going to dismiss us but my prayer is that in whatever area of our life that we have yet to trust God that today would be that day that we trust it to him that for whatever things that we've put our hands to that we need to take our hands off of and whatever ways we've not received the counsel of those that are around us that now we would make that choice because, you know, God gives us this beautiful thing called a free will. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that God didn't make us as robots, but he, he gave us a free will to be able to love one another? I can't force you to love me. You can't uh, force me to love you. And with God, God gives us that choice as to whether we want to serve him or to serve the world. And so I'm asking you to make a choice. And I'm going to say, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so no matter what direction you're going this morning, whether you're going the right direction, praise God, keep running. Keep running. If you're going the wrong direction, if you're that prodigal son who went his own way and you realize, wait a minute, things looked better over here. Like the grass looked greener on the other side. Sometimes you get in the field and you realize there's rocks everywhere, right? You say, hey, had it better my father's house God's got his arms wide open you don't have to sit there and wonder is he going to accept me absolutely absolutely think about something for a moment if God told us if Jesus told us and Jesus did said to go and to forgive people 70 times 7 a day how much more how much more does he love you because I think there's so many people that live their life thinking that God doesn't love them, but you've got to know that God loves you. He doesn't, he doesn't choose you based on your merit. He doesn't call you. He doesn't mark you based on the bad things in your life. Look, you could do your very best and do a pretty darn good job, but you know that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God because he is a holy God. Like, we are all in need of a Savior. Friend, you're in need of a Savior. I'm in need of a Savior. So I just want to say to those of you that think, man, God, there's no way. There's no way. Not God. Not, not me. Not me. Because he wouldn't love me. Yes, he does. And he accepts you. And I don't care if you've rededicated your life to Christ 5,000 times. Guess what? Today's 5,001 and God still says yes. He's that good. He's that good. And he wants to redeem, he wants to restore, he wants to renew, he wants to revive our hearts to love again and to live again. And so if you're here this morning 
and you want to make that choice of your own free will to say, I receive the gift of God that's already been paid through Jesus Christ and the resurrected King. I accept the gift that he paid for my forgiveness. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. And I just want to lead you in a prayer of surrender to God. It's one that, that says, Lord, I'm going this direction. I recognize that it's wrong, but I want to go this way. And so it's just a declaration of our lips. And it is important, as the Bible says, that we need to confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. Then we'll be saved. We'll be sozos in the Greek. That means we'll be complete. We'll be whole. And so... If you want to be whole this morning, join in prayer with me. Saints of God that's prayed this prayer once before, join in with us. And we're going to pray. Those of you online, pray this prayer. Pray it out loud. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Be my God. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from them. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. That you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. Now I want to live my life to know you, to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we thank God for our salvation? I'm going to pray over you, and then you're dismissed. Join me in prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you love us despite our failures and our shortcomings. And I pray, God, that you would bring restoration and healing in our lives, God. As we look to you, I pray that you would fill our empty hearts in a way, God, that only you can fill. Let your love be poured out in our hearts. Fill us with your precious Holy Spirit. God, may all who are in this place leave knowing that they are loved by you. And may we all walk in the plans and the purposes that you have for our lives. But God, in everything that we pray, we pray that you be glorified in our lives. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, I love you. God loves you. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week in Jesus' name.